Well, we've all survived the uh, I-5 closure, so good job. Uh, we have one more day, so hope you guys can get home okay. And it's graduation season, so I know in youth ministry we're getting ready to be very busy uh, to go to graduations and hearing the same speech about nine times. Okay, so uh, pray for us. Um, if you have your uh, Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9 today. I get the privilege of uh, closing out our series, our short series on marriage and on relationships. And so um, what I've always appreciated about this title of this uh, series, uh, the title is, is Move, Propelling Your Most Important Relationship Forward. That's a really good title. Because truth be, uh, truth be told, um, there are many barriers to Im intimacy. Uh, there are many walls that seek to separate us and, and isolate and choke out the life of most of our cherished relationships. And so uh, all you have to do to, uh, to, find, uh, to find a clue of this is if you do a quick search online, just go online and, uh, and type in uh, the biggest marital issues. Uh, and then the ones uh, uh, that leads couple to divorce or to the disintegration of marriage. And you are going to find very similar ones. Uh, and so I, I, I took a few and I, I've listed it here for you. Uh, the top marital conflicts. The ones that lead to divorce are these, um, and it's all, not in any of these orders, okay, but, but these are the most common ones. So uh, one is the inability uh, to handle finances, all right, so, so many, many couples find themselves in divorce courts and separation because they can't handle their finances. Uh, number two is the, uh, not number two, but the, the, in the second one is the inability to uh, communicate. That's, that's really... Um, we discover as we do uh, premarital counseling and then postmarital uh, connections that uh, one of the first thing that goes after a couple gets married after the honeymoon phase is they stop talking or they stop pursuing and they stop um, yeah, working hard to, to, uh, to, to love and to care. And so um, yeah, the second one is like it's the inability to communicate. The third one is the the inability, uh, inability to connect relationally. That's uh, interesting. Like after a few years or, or a few years into the marriage, begin to fade, right? The, you, you no longer go on dates or you're so busy or whatnot. And so you begin to fade in your marriage and children comes along the scene and you're just super busy. You don't have time to connect. And fourthly, it's the inability to be honest. The inability to be honest, especially about addictions and secret stuff. It's a scary one because so many of us are struggling through those addictions. And so the inability to be honest is another one of those issues that leads couples to divorce. And then lastly, the inability to forgive. The inability to forgive, to hold grudge. Right, to hold grudge. And I think as Asians, we're very good at holding grudges. Right, so of these five major struggles, I believe that the last one, the inability to forgive... It's the one that permeates through all of the above. That's the, that's the crux of the matter. That's the, that's, I think that's the one that we struggle with the most, this inability to forgive. And so as Christians who are called to follow Jesus in all of our relationships, can we do better? Can we do better? Can we understand what is happening? And, and, and when, I, when we look at these lists, this is... This list is taken of the general population, but it's just the same for Christians and people who go to church. 
That's the tragedy. And, and, and forgiveness is so important because how we deal with each other's mistakes, right? How we deal with our shortcomings and, and our idiosyncrasies and our weaknesses will determine the depth and the health of all of our relationships. And so if we, if we desire our, our marriages and, and our relationships, our cherished relationships, to move forward, to grow in health and in depth, we must learn to forgive. And we must learn the, and understand what forgiveness really means. And so let, let me pray one more time, and let's, let's get into the word. Father, I, I am fully aware that I stand here Man, I, I'm no expert on this forgiveness area. God, it, it's more so that I, 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 I have such a weakness to, to go ask for forgiveness. I would rather hide my mistakes or pretend it doesn't exist. But God, if, if, if there's no honesty, if there's no uh, transparency, if there's no, um, yeah, Trinitarian love and, and openness, Lord, all of our relationships are doomed to fail. And so we ask, God, uh, that today, as, as, as I share these, these words of yours, Lord, I pray, God, that you would use that in the marriages in this room and, 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 and all the future relationships and dating relationships that are happening here. I pray that they would continue to not just uh, dismiss this idea of forgiveness as cliche or, or anything like that, but, Lord, help us to see, God, how much we are in desperate need of forgiveness and what it means to live as forgiven people. I pray and ask these in Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 9, uh, turn there with me, starting verse 1. We're going to uh, cover verses 1 to 8. It's the story of Jesus. And Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own hometown. To his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat, and Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Amen. So the story, at the heart of the story, very clearly, is an encounter of this paralyzed man and in the heart of the story is this, uh, this, this issue of authority. This issue of this authority. Does Jesus have authority to forgive sins and to heal? And, but yet what stands out for me as I read through this, and what's, what's uh, important for us this morning, is this idea of, of forgiveness, the power and the depth of what forgiveness brings as it relates to healing, as it relates to the opening of people's hearts. And it's the kind of forgiveness that brings healing and restoration is the kind of healing uh, of forgiveness that, that destroys barriers and moves most of our cherished relationship forward. And so I want to just focus in on this 
kind of forgiveness. And there are four things we need to understand from this passage about forgiveness. The first thing is forgiveness really is a movement of faith. See, forgiveness is a movement of faith. It is birthed out of this belief. In verse 1 and 2, uh, it says Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. In verse 2, it says some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And so, remember, forgiveness was offered when Jesus saw their faith. And so what is this about this faith? What is this uh, thing about this movement of faith? The first thing is we need to know that whenever faith moves, whenever faith moves, especially toward forgiveness, it is always risky. It is always risk-taking. And so if you read the parallel account in, Ma in, in, in Mark's gospel, he, he gives us more details of what's happening in this moment. The town that Jesus comes home, his hometown, is called Capernaum. And the, t and the home Jesus stayed at was the home that belonged to Simon Peter. And Mark recorded in this story that the crowd gathered around to see Jesus was so huge that they could not, these friends carrying the mats of their paralyzed friend, could not make their way to Jesus. And so what did they end up doing? And so they climbed the roof of Peter's house. And they tore a hole big enough in that roof to lower this man down and his mat. So you got to imagine this scene, okay? So if you go to uh, Capernaum now in Jerusalem, I mean uh, in, in Galilee, north of uh, in Israel, if you go there, you can actually see Peter's house. The church is built on top of Peter's house, and you can kind of look down. And when we were there in 2013, I would just imagine what it would look like to lower this somebody down into the roof, into, into the, the living room of Peter. And so you can see all that. And so it's an amazing moment. So, now, and I was thinking about that. I, you know what? I don't care what culture you're from or, or what, what time of history you're at, okay? Um, breaking somebody's roof is never a good thing, right? I mean, I just, I just can't see it being like normal or cultural in any system, okay? I think whatever culture you're from, if you break somebody's roof, uh, those are fighting words, right? And so that's the risk that they took. It's risky to do something like that. And also, when, when you come and you disturb or interrupt Jesus' teaching, or any teacher for that matter, that is risky. That is risky. And I think to myself, when I was in college, you know, sitting in a room of 800 students, and, uh, and, and the teacher's lecturing, and, and then he's talking, right? Man, the, the biggest fear for an Asian is to raise your hand and ask a question. We never ask questions. Asians never ask questions. I'm, assume, I, I'm speaking generalities, right? I'm sure you guys have all changed the, the game. But, man, when I was there, I was like, no, uh, I'm Asian. I'm never asking questions. I'm going to ask my friend. Right? We can ask him later. And so we never want to interrupt anything. That's, that's a risk. Right, to interrupt Jesus, especially when all the crowds wanted to see him. And in that crowd, there's probably other sick people. And so to, to, to cut in front of the line like that is risky, if not rude. And perhaps the, the biggest risk came from the paralytic man himself, isn't it? Uh, he put himself out there, doesn't he? He put himself out there. He says, Jesus, I don't know if you're going to heal me, but here I am. Right? He put himself out there. 
That's a big risk. Uh, he asked his friends for help, knowing very well the risk and the burdens that they would have to carry on account of him. And that's the risk, right? We as Asians, especially in our mindsets, we do not like to ask for help. We don't want to burden people. And so it's a risk to ask their friends for help. They could have said no, they could have laughed at him, or they could have been ridiculed. And what about this? To allow oneself to be dropped in front of a huge crowd is to tell everybody in that village that I am in need, that I am desperate, that I am just crazy enough to believe that Jesus may be God and that he can heal me. So this is risky, isn't it? Whenever faith moves, and when we talk about forgiveness, when faith moves toward forgiveness, it's a risk-taking endeavor. And secondly, whenever faith moves, it always moves toward restoration. It always desires restoration. And so for the ancient world, there was this real understanding that one's lot in life or, or one's condition in life is partially due to one's actions or, or, fam or, or our family's actions. And so here was a man who was paralyzed, stuck lying on a mat, immobile, helpless, and hopeless. He must have thought, surely God is punishing him for some sins, or surely he's punishing his family for something they have done, and that God was somehow angry at him. And so to put himself before Jesus was to dare to believe that Jesus would restore him physically. And with one sentence, Jesus speaks to both risk and restoration. And Jesus, what he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. That phrase, take heart, is to simulate, you can translate it, it's, it's okay. Or take courage, my friend. And so Jesus declared with these two words, do not be afraid. There's nothing to fear with me. Your risk, you have taken great risk, but there is nothing to be afraid. And so risk was replaced by acceptance and fear with love. Then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And I want you to notice that Jesus did not say, I have forgiven your sins. What's happening here is that he is saying that this authoritative voice that comes forth that I know how you stand. You stand forgiven before God. You stand forgiven before God and that God has forgiven your sin. And so whatever guilt that was deeply entrenched in this paralytic was now removed and that great barrier that held his soul paralyzed with guilt and shame is now shattered. His soul was set free. And so forgiveness not only brings physical healing, we can talk about that later, but it brings this restoration, this spiritual soul healing. And so when I think about this in marriage, right, whenever arguments and fights occur, or you face this crisis so difficult that it threatens to disintegrate your marriage, there needs to be a movement of faith. There needs to be a movement of faith. There needs to be some risk-taking. 
when you get in an argument, when, when two couples are going at it, or, or you, you stop talking for a week, or, or you're just angry at each other, there needs to be this movement of faith that I'm going to risk, I'm going to risk talking. I'm going to risk confessing. I'm going to risk asking for forgiveness. These are all risks. And so there needs to be that movement of faith. And then and, and on the other hand, there needs to be an understanding as well that your spouse and you yourself, how we stand before God, how we stand before God. And this is the, the incredible things that we do not understand, at least I don't understand. That when God looks at us, he looks at us not as sinners. He looks at us as your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I want you guys to think about the last sin you just commit. Just go ahead. It could have been two minutes ago, all right? It could have been just, stop thinking about it too hard, but, but just thinking, this, it could have been just a few minutes ago. It could have been yesterday. It could have been, right? Just think about that sin that you committed. And Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. The passive status, the identity, so we need that if we're going to forgive each other, if we're going to go toward forgiveness, we need to know that God has already forgiven you and me, that we stand before the Lord. We stand before the Lord without guilt and without shame. And so if there is no barriers now between me and God, if there is now no barrier between me and the one who created me, then therefore I am freed up, and I therefore I am given this courage. Jesus says, take heart, son. I'm given this freedom to now pursue, to break down the barriers between the ones closest to me. And so we need to seek restoration. We need to pursue forgiveness we, only because we have been forgiven. And so there's this risk to take in forgiveness, and we must fight for it, and we must allow our faith to move. So that's forgiveness, okay? That forgiveness is a movement of faith. The second thing is uh, forgiveness exposes our hearts. It exposes the heart. Look at verse 2 to 5. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts? Where in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? Now, in, in this passage, there's two kinds of hearts. One is the heart of the paralytic, whose years of helpless, lying on the mat, and years of guilt and shame has led him to a place of desperation and risk-taking and faith. The other are the hearts of the teachers of the law, the seminary professors and pastors of their day, whose strict understanding of godly authority would not allow a man to have the authority of God. And so before we get mad at these, we, we, we tend to look 
we tend to put up uh, the teachers of the law, and, and we call them, you know, we always have these bad feelings about the teachers and scribes and the Pharisees. These are bad people, right? We've been trained that. But, but in this case, um, let it be said that they're right. They are right. Because only God can forgive sin. Because it is against him that we have sinned and committed a rebellion. And no man can ever speak for God. That is blasphemy. Only God can speak for God. And this Jesus, this Jesus is a common man. He's a mere man. He is, no, he is not God, so therefore he is blaspheming. And so their logic is correct unless, of course, Jesus is God, which to them is inconceivable in their minds. And so this evil thoughts that Jesus condemns in their hearts was not their logic, but rather their reluctance or refusal to believe in Jesus' identity and in his authority. And in their unbelief, they refused to surrender control, control of the situation. So forgiveness, as, we, as you may have, uh, have known through the years, that forgiveness is often defined as me giving up my rights to hurt you back for the hurt you have caused me. Right? Have you heard that before? Forgiveness is me giving up my rights to hurt you back for what you have done to me. And so unforgiveness, then, is ultimately a refusal to surrender control, to refusal to surrender this, this vengeance that you hold on to. And so when a spouse refuses to forgive, he or she refuses to give up her rights of revenge, of, 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 of fighting back, of, of hurting you back for what you have done to me. And that control, you know, that, that, that holding an ax over someone, that grudge that we hold on to secretly, it's a sure indication that our hearts are hardened. That we want to be in control. It's the kind of heart that destroys intimacy and diminishes trust and squashes love. You can't breathe under that kind of thing. And so therefore, when it comes to marriage, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the condition of my heart? So when you're in conflict, and I know that some of you will be in conflict right when you leave this church, there will, something will happen in your life in the days ahead. Pray, don't pray, to, don't, don't ask God to help you forgive. I think the better prayer is to ask God to give you a heart that's tender, that, that is willing to surrender and to submit to Christ. Because only a tender heart, only a heart that is softened, is able to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. Now, this is important, and, and I, and I want to, after saying those two things, uh, I was really convicted that I, I need to, to, to share this as clearly as I can. When we are talking about forgiveness as a faith movement and as, and as indicative of a tender heart, I am by no means saying that if there is abuse, physical or verbal, happening in your marriage, that you should forgive and stay in that marriage. I, I want to be really clear. If abuse is happening in your relationship, 
If abuse is happening, please get out. Please go somewhere safe and contact the proper authorities and talk to your pastor. Please do that. Right? Do not stay and try to forgive and try to make it work, especially if there's physical abuse. And, and I, I need to emphasize that. There's no room and there's no place for spousal abuse in any form. And I want to be really clear on that. Okay? And so when talking about forgiveness, it's easy to look at that and say, well, I'm, am I supposed to forgive even if my husband is beating me up? I want to be really clear. No. No, get out of there. Right? Find the proper authority. Let's deal with this. But for most of us, in, 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 in the day-to-day -day life, as we continue to live in, with our spouse in our marriages, I think forgiveness continues to be the key and the linchpin to which we can help grow our relationship. And so let's move on to the third part of, of forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is healing. Why forgiveness is so important is forgiveness is healing. Look at verses 6 to 7. Actually, in, in, in verse, starting verse 5, Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. You know, at this moment, I wonder if, if Jesus is playing with the teachers of the law. Was he, was he really just messing with them? I mean, look at what he's saying. It's like, since you accuse me of blasphemy for saying your sins are forgiving, uh, forgiven, what would you rather have me say? If you do not believe I have authority to forgive sins, then do I have authority to tell this paralyzed man to get up and take his mat and go home? What would you say? What is it easier to say? And, and, of course, the, the obvious answer is your sins are forgiving. It's much easier to say than, hey, get up. Be healed of your paralyzingness, whatever that word is. Be healed of your sickness. Take your mat and go home. The easier thing to say is to say your sins are forgiven. But Jesus says in verse 6, he declared in no uncertain terms, I want you to know that I have authority to forgive sins, so watch this. And the paralytic rose up and took up his mat in, in, in Mark's story and went home. And I love that Jesus told the former paralytic to go home. See, because forgiveness is healing. It is the kind of healing that changes and empowers our relationships to move forward. When you forgive your spouse, it helps them to move forward in their relationship. And that is so critical. Some of us in this room, I think we need to take up our mat. What is the mat? For some of us, uh, our mat is anything that reminds us of our bondage. And our mat is also what tells of the evidence of our healing. And some of us, we need to take up our mat. We need to take up our, our bondage, and we need to take up our healing. We take, need to take up that burden to the Lord that God has already have healed in our lives. We need to take that, and we need to go home. And we need to go home. 
to go home to our spouse and to go back there and to tell him or her where we were and what God has done for us. Tell him how he has forgiven us and how he has healed us. And from there, we can move to ask for forgiveness or to forgive our spouse. So, brothers and sisters, we need to take up our mats. And we need to go home and tell our spouse that we have been healed and we have been forgiven. So would you please forgive me? Or I can now forgive you. And that's powerful. That relationship is based and, 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 it, and it grows and thrives on forgiveness, on mercy, and on grace. So the last thing about forgiveness is forgiveness is our calling. Forgiveness is our calling, verse 8. When all of that has happened, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Through much of this encounter, you read this encounter like I have, I, our conclusion is that only Jesus can forgive sins and, and only Jesus can heal. Only the Son of God would have this kind of authority. Yet what's amazing to me for Matthew and Mark, they added this ending. The last word in this verse is translated man in the singular. This is the NIV translation. The committee uh, saw fit to just put a singular man in here. But the Greek word is anthropos, which is a plural form of man, and therefore it stands for humanity in general. And so what the amazement of the crowd is this, they were filled with awe that praise God who had given such authority, the authority to forgive, the authority to heal to regular human beings. You catch the significance of that. What amazed them is that we can become forgivers of sins. Now, I want to be careful, right? We're not saying that you somehow have a power and authority to forgive sins. But what he is saying in this passage is that the authority to forgive sins in Jesus' name is now given to us to followers of Christ, and to the church. And as we preach the gospel, as we take communion, as we do confession, as we worship, this is all an indication that we have been given this authority. That if you confess with your mouth, if you repent in your heart, then in Jesus' name, your sins can be forgiven. And that's powerful. And that's why when I think about forgiveness, that's our calling. That is our calling. That is our identity. That is the way that God has wired us. We stand forgiven. And I think you need, I don't know if you really like uh, believe that. I don't know if you really sense the, the significance of that. So if you can turn to somebody, look them in the eye, and you can just tell them, hey, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And, then, and tell them this, too. Tell them God is not mad at you. Amen. 
And if God is not mad at you, who am I to hold a grudge? And who am I to not forgive? No matter what you've done, there is forgiveness because we have been forgiven. And Dr. Larry Crabb wrote these words in one of my favorite marriage books, The Marriage Builder. And look what he says, because our needs are met in Christ, we are free to regard marriage not as a place to fill our needs, but as a unique opportunity to help another human become more fully aware of God's love and purpose. If you think getting married is to fulfill your needs, oh my goodness, I discovered that in the first hour, that is not true. That is not true. Marriage is not for you. Marriage is so you, God has entrusted you with a precious gift of a spouse so that you could lead him or her into this encounter with the love and the beauty and the joy of God. And I see no better way to show that person that than to forgive and to live in forgiveness. And I am so frustrated because I feel in my own marriage, I feel like I am not a very good forgiver. Just this, you guys, you guys are going to laugh at this, okay? Because, and Julie hates it when I talk about her, but Julie doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, she does, she's not perfect, okay? She does do some things wrong, but come on, she's cute, and, and she's adorable, and she stands up there, and, and she hangs out with me, and, and it's like, how am I supposed to get mad at you? Even when I'm mad at, when she's mad, she's so adorable. You ever, <laughs> okay, never mind. There's going to be conflict in this afternoon. Um, but I want you, it's really, really hard because this idea of forgiveness, right? Because when I was preparing for this, I had a really hard time with this because I really, I'm not, we don't have too much experience in forgiving each other. I think she does for me, but not me for her. And I just feel like in my heart that what we need to understand is that whatever is going on in our lives, we need to pursue forgiveness. We need to pursue what it means to forgive each other because we have been forgiven. And so let me close with these words. And I uh, go ahead and um, I want you to listen to these words now. I want you to listen to these words written by Paul. And I want you to listen to it with, with, with a mindset of forgiveness. As forgiveness as being the cornerstone of your relationship. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So may the Lord bless the marriages in this room and the families in this room. And may our relationship be always led by love and anchored by forgiveness so that I will not have any fear in my home. I would not have any fear to ask for forgiveness in my home. And so if you ever, if you're here and you doubt whether or not God really forgives you, if you ever have this idea that, do I, am I really stand in, am I really forgiven in the sight of God? I want you to remember this. As we come and take communion together, this is one of the indications that Jesus says, you come to my table, and when you're at my table, you are my children. And if you're my children, there is no fear. I do not hold sin against you. You are forgiven. You stand forgiven. This is my body. This is my blood poured out for you. So I invite the ushers to come forward, and I invite you as you prepare to consider how much the Lord has loved you and where you stand. table is open for all who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Whenever you're ready, please come down to the front.